This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to Rico Bronia. It's actually getting emotional now because think about this. How many more Rico Bronias do we have before baseball is back? Before it's spring training? Before it's the World Baseball Classic? Before it's fake baseball games between the Mets and the Cardinals in Port St. Lucie? We are, I mean, seriously, we are days and days away from baseball returning. So as we get closer to spring training, the excitement starts to build. A lot of things we're going to hit on on the pod today. Uh, A reminder, though, coming up on Sunday night into Monday, uh, we will be posting the Rico Bronia in which we rewatch Game 7 of the 1986 World Series. So if you haven't had a chance to do it yet and you wanted to do it, the link is on the profile in the description of this latest podcast, you can click on it. It's well done because there's no commercials. So you're literally watching game seven of the 86 world series with the great Vin Scully. And we are going to break it down in depth. There's so many amazing things from this game seven that I was never told about, to be quite frank with you as someone who was only three years old at the time, I've heard many stories about the 86 Mets, but we know after watching game seven, There's a lot of stories that were left out. So we certainly hope you watch it, and we'll talk about it coming up on the next edition of Rico. As far as today's concerned, a lot of things we're going to hit on. Carlos Beltran's return to the organization, concerns about the World Baseball Classic, Steve Cohen doing multiple interviews in which he said some interesting things, Matthew Allen's injury, and also, believe it or not today, a little bit on the lasting impact of Brody Van Wagenen. But let's start off with Beltran. When I saw that news a few days ago that Carlos was coming back into the Met organization as an assistant to the general manager, Billy Epler, my first reaction was this. You're welcome, Yankee fans. You're welcome. You didn't like him on Yes Network. You didn't like him doing the broadcast as an analyst. Don't worry. He was going to go to the studio. Well, guess what? You don't have to even worry about him in the studio because we took him off your hands. So after I got past that, I thought about his legacy. We did a podcast all about Carlos Beltran a couple of weeks ago. If you haven't heard it, go back into the archives. You can take a listen, which we talk about basically his entire time here, from the moment he was signed to everything that went in the middle of it, and really the 
the oddness of Beltron's legacy as a guy that I think we'd agree is the most successful free agent signing in the history of the franchise. And yet kind of has this mixed feeling from Met fans. I, my first reaction, I don't know if you thought this Pete was, this is the Mets way of kind of warming us up back, warming us back up to Carlos by bringing him back in the family, by bringing him back in the organization And that if he is inducted into the Hall of Fame a year from now or two years from now, that our adjustment to Carlos Beltran Day would be easier than the guy who's broadcasting Yankee games, but instead as a guy who's in the organization. Is that too conspiracy theory-like, or does that make any sense? Uh, It makes sense, but that was not my initial thought. My My initial thought is, what is Carlos Beltran's obsession with the New York Mets? Because it feels like no, I'm being serious. If it feels like he only wants to manage for the Mets, he only wants to. Re- I know he was part of the Yankees broadcast. I, I get it. He was with the Yankees, Yankees organization, but he doesn't want to coach or manage or be really anywhere else but New York. And now he's making his ties again with the Mets. It feels like he loves it here, which is great. But does he does he feel like he owes us something? No. So here's my interpretation of that. I think Carlos Beltran loves us. And I think Carlos Beltran is very worried. Uh, Andy Martino, who many times me and Craig rip, but sometimes he's got interesting pieces. I give him credit. Wrote something very interesting about Carlos. One little thing that was interesting. The rest of it was a bore. And the interesting thing was Carlos Beltran was concerned that he was going to get booed when he walked into City Field for the Roberto Clemente tribute that took place in September of last year. And what I take from that is Carlos Beltran is aware of his legacy and he's aware of his mixed legacy with the Mets, but he's also aware that he's a Met. He is not a Royal. He is not an Astro. He is not a Cardinal. He is not a Yankee. He's a Met and he knows that. And so much like early in his Met career, and we talked about this in the Beltran episode where he was bothered by the booze in his first year with the team, and he didn't want to give that curtain call at the beginning of year two, I think he's sensitive. And I think that he wants to be loved by us. And I think that small little kind of sentence about how Carlos was worried about getting booed when he returned to City Field, and he was pleasantly happy that he wasn't booed. He got a warm ovation. I think that matters to him. So his obsession with the Mets is this. If he's going to manage anywhere, he wants it to be with the team that he's most known for. The team that he, whether you as Mets fans listening or not, agree with how I feel about Carlos and whether you want to accept him as a Met or not, he is a Met. You don't have to accept it. It's just a reality. He's not a Royal. He's a Met. So I think Carlos wants to be accepted. Uh, But I also think he's a really, really smart baseball guy. And I think he wants to be involved in front offices or managing again. And he was given an opportunity to be an assistant general manager. And I don't think that Billy Epler is going to use that simply as a token job. I think Carlos Beltran's a really smart baseball guy. And I think Brian Cashman used him a couple of years ago. I remember Alex Cora made that comment in London that, oh, well, now they added Beltran. They know a lot of stuff. There's certain stuff we can't get away with, basically implying Beltran knows all about the cheating. It's not just that. He's a smart baseball guy. So I do think 
that while this may soften the way we view him when Carlos Beltran Day does come in a couple of years, I do also think they're going to use his brain and his baseball smarts. To rewind what you said about um, Carlos Beltran being sensitive to the fact that he has met and he wants that ovation. Not that, he, not that he wants the ovation. He just doesn't want to be booed. If he wants to be the manager of the New York Mets, which, by the way, he declined mm-hmm. the coaching position with the Mets early in the season, right? Like in the offseason, they offered him something and he declined. But if he does become the manager, he does know eventually he's going to get fired. And unless he <laughs> brings a championship, they're really going to hate him. It's going to be even worse. Like he, he didn't even coach a game. And people are like, what the hell? You know, so it's not a good, it hasn't been the best, even though he's the best free agent signing in Mets history, it still hasn't been the best relationship. Yeah, I, I think that every manager gets fired. You know, very, very few managers get to walk out and retire a hero. I mean, Joe Torre was essentially fired. I don't want to hear they didn't renew his contract. He was fired. Every manager in the history of the New York Mets has been fired. <laughs> Everyone, I guess Casey Stengel didn't get fired. And obviously, poor Gil Hodges passed away tragically. So Gil didn't get fired. But you know what I mean? Like, you are hired. Of it. TV Johnson got fired. Davey Johnson managed the 86 championship New York Mets and did some very cool things in game seven, which we'll get to on our next Rico Bronia. So I don't think though, that guys who want to manage think that way. You can't think about failure. You just think that that's your dream job. That's what you want to do. I do think that Carlos taking this job shows you that he's got bigger ambitions than just being a broadcaster that, you know, maybe it's becoming a general manager someday. Can't rule that out. Uh, or maybe it's getting back to being a manager. But I do wonder, because you bring up an interesting point, Pete. Is your faster route to managing, being in a front office, working hand by hand with Billy Epler, or is the faster route to managing being on a coaching staff and being a bench coach or being a hitting coach or being whatever kind of coach? And history would tell you it's being on a coaching staff. So... I wonder. I wonder what his long-term goal is. But overall, uh, we don't know exactly what he's going to do. But it's good to have Carlos back. I like Carlos Beltran. I think he's been disrespected a lot in his time here. And so I do hope that this leads to bigger things down the road. With that said, Buck's the manager for a while. I mean, I don't think Buck has any plans to not manage this team. But I'll tell you this, Buck, and I say this with peace and love, you keep winning 100 games and getting knocked out in the wild card round, Eventually, we're going to have some conversations. Eventually, that conversation will occur. So that came up uh, as far as the success. You know, there are people dog and Cashman saying that he's not successful, whatever the case is. And they asked me about well, what if the Mets got to that point where they keep on winning and they don't get to that like over the hump and don't don't get a World Series. I'm like, it's brand new for us. So every step of the way, it's it's a win. So we need to be in the playoffs now, back-to-back years or two, three years in a row. And then ask me, oh, well, you haven't won a World Series yet. How does that feel? But right now, like, this is the goal, and this we're getting there. And it's, we're it's, getting there. And all parts. It's Cohen, Epler, Buck, everybody. Oh, no doubt. I, I don't know exactly when we'll be there. And I think for all of us, it'll be a little bit different. Like, when I say I'm done with this manager, when you say you're done with this manager, or GM or, or whomever – I think it'll all come at a different time, but the bar has changed. I don't think there's any doubt. Like this is, this is a different world. 
This is no longer cute and fun. Like, oh, let's win 88 games and have a good time. No, you got to win a championship. It's why as we sit here in the middle of February getting ready for the 2023 season, I don't think many Met fans view last year as some raging success, yet they won 101 games. We still think of the postseason failures. Uh, the other thing that was interesting, the, the Mets are going to have a lot of guys in this WBC. The official rosters are going to be announced shortly, very, very soon. But some of the names of guys that will be in the WBC, Pete Alonso, the starting first baseman for the New York Mets, Jeff McNeil, the starting second baseman for the New York Mets, Francisco Lindor, the starting shortstop for the New York Mets, Eduardo Escobar, the probable starting third baseman for the New York Mets, Edwin Diaz, the closer for the New York Mets, Brooks Raleigh, lefty specialist for the New York Mets, Jose Quintana, fifth starter for the New York Mets, Omar Narvaez, starting catcher for the New York Mets, and then there's a couple of maybes like Adam Adovino and Michael Perez. That's a lot of guys. A lot of guys. And we've talked about this briefly. I'm not overly concerned about the WBC. I've made that point because you're playing baseball. Whether you're playing baseball in Port St. Lucie, Florida for five and a half innings, or you're playing a handful of games in the World Baseball Classic, I do think the injury risk is pretty much the same. But that's a lot of guys. There's a positive to this. There's the negative. The negative is they're not around. They're not around the team. They're not in that locker room. The negative is, even though I don't buy this, I do want to speak for many other Met fans who are concerned about the injury risk, who do think that, hey, it's a bigger game. It's a game they're more invested in. There's more risk of injury. I'm not fully buying that, but I, I understand that point. The positive, though, and the geek like me really loves this. It's more opportunity for someone else. It's more at-bats for somebody else. It's more opportunity. And look, the obvious ones are, well, Brett Beatty's going to play a lot more. Francisco Alvarez, not really them. Because I think they were going to play a lot anyway. Like, I don't think their at-bats are being added. But other guys we're not even thinking of are going to get more opportunities. And so when you put that TV on on a Saturday afternoon in February or March and you're watching a Met spring training game. Yeah, there's excitement to see our guys, no doubt. There's excitement to see Lindor for the first time or second time, McNeil, same thing. But really, their at-bats don't matter other than just getting ready for the start of the season and they're going to have those at-bats. They're just doing it in Arizona for the first week because it's the WBC. It opens up other guys that we get to watch other guys that get at-bats. So that's my one positive to it. Buck Showalter's comment about this was brutally honest and weird. Here's the quote from Buck. We're excited and proud that they're going, but they can't come back and be a way behind. You worry when guys start the clock up that quickly, but the WBC is good for the game, I'm told, and that's the bottom line. It enhances our game globally, and I support it. But I'm looking at it selfishly from what's best for the New York Mets. My favorite part of that line is, it's good for the game, I'm told. (laughs) I I guess it's good for the game. That's what they told me to say. (laughs) Uh, I love Buck. But he he really is the best. But let's be serious, Buck. I don't know if, if this is normal, but I feel like half the team is there early this year because of the WBC. Am I wrong with that? Uh, 
I don't know if that's the reason. Like, Brandon Nimmo got there early, and he's not playing in the WBC. Max Scherzer got there early. He's not playing in the WBC. So I don't necessarily think that guys are getting there earlier, uh, but beyond the, the reporting date, because they're going to be in the WBC. Buck brought up one thing, and I guess this is the argument for why you're more risk. Uh, you're, it's more risky to get hurt by playing in the WBC, that guys are playing in high-leverage situations without having gone through with a full spring training. So I asked this as somebody that's never played Major League Baseball or Minor League Baseball. Pete Alonso coming up with two on and two out in a clutch spot in the seventh inning of a tie game against the Dominican Republic, like a big at-bat. Why would that make you more likely to get hurt than a who-cares at-bat in the fifth inning in Port St. Lucie? You're squeezing the bat tighter. Like what, why would that cause more risk? I can't, I don't think it's about the hitters. I think it's about the pitching. It's about, we always talk about the high leverage situations in baseball and how it's a different, you know, different situation when you're starting the the top of the, the first inning than going into the bottom of the ninth at bases of load or whatever it is. So maybe in that aspect, if you're looking at those, those pitchers that are going to be in there, I could see that, but I don't. I can't look at at McNeil or Alonzo being like, "Oh, the situation's a little bit testy." I, I get that with the pitching. I think that makes sense, especially if you're pushed a little bit. So if Jose Quintana is being pushed a little bit more than he would have been in a spring training game, that one I accept. Like I get that one. Diaz less so because they're not. I don't think they're going to push Edwin Diaz. Like I'd be annoyed. I admit this. I'd be annoyed if Edwin Diaz is being asked to get a six out save. Like, okay, I'll give you that. Like, if Edwin Diaz is being called upon in the eighth inning with a one-run lead and he throws 45 pitches, yeah, I, I'd say, what the hell is going on? Yeah, well, if Buck did it, but like Buck tore us away how to use Edwin Diaz, so we should follow that narrative. No, 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 yeah, no. But no, Buck's no. doing <laughs> that in September in a game that we need, <laughs> not for the WBC. No, I agree. No, you can't, you can't do that. Honestly, Edwin Diaz should see you know, max three three batters a game well, if he goes at that. He's the closer. So, you know, if he puts a couple of guys on base, he should see more batters than that. And in a spring training game, as someone that's watched a lot of spring training over the years, I've scored a lot of spring training games. I do admit they've gone down over the years. I, as I've aged, as I've gotten older, as I've gotten married and have had kids, you would see I score a lot less spring training games than I used to. Okay, all right. Are there any spoilers? Will there be any spring training games in your book that you're writing? In the book that I'm writing? Um, yes. The book I'm writing in which I'm publishing 81 spring training uh, baseball games. So technically, there's one I'm thinking about. So the way I'm writing this book is I, I'm going to do 81 games, 81 scorecards, and kind of write about it. I'm going to write more than that and then kind of narrow it down like there'll be a few I take out. As of right now, there are two. Quote unquote, but hear me out. They're very special. Two quote unquote spring training games. Okay. But you're gonna you're gonna understand when I say them and say, ah, it's not really spring training. Okay. Number one, first ever game at City Field. Spring training game. Mets Red Sox. Okay. It's a spring training game. I get it. Yeah. But you sense. get that, right? I um, again, first game City Field. So uh, I, I do get that. Okay. The other What's one, the one. The other one, it's it's more personal for me, but it's very similar. The return of baseball to Washington, D.C. 
the Nationals played an exhibition game against the Mets. And that was the return. Like, they had played, obviously, spring training. But this was the first game, the return to Washington, D.C. in 2005 at RFK Stadium. That one may not make the cut. There's personal reasons. I lived in D.C. I was so, like, enthralled about baseball's back. They happen to be playing the Mets. But outside of that, there's, there's no Port St. Lucie game that's making the cut. If the Mets had ever left and you need to find a team to pick to, to root for, would it have been D.C.? I no. feel like you have tied. But no. you're like a – no, not at no. all? No, not at all. Well, first of all, I lived in Maryland uh, before the Nationals – came about the expos were still thinking they were still a team it was a one it was a two it was a three it was a four i ended up going to a lot of oriole games and i never found myself rooting for the orioles i just love baseball so i'd go there and depending on who they played depending on the situation i'd root based on you know how i felt so when the orioles were playing the yankees let's go O's. when the orioles are playing the red sox because the enemy of my enemy is my friend in 2003 keep in mind where we are in time mm. let's go red sox Man, he's my guy. (laughs) (laughs) Pedro. So it's all about timing. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. But over the years, I used to score 10 spring training games a year, which is a stupid amount. I admit that. Last year, I scored one. The year before that, I scored two. Like, it's usually one or two, and it's usually early in spring training, because early in spring training, I'm damn excited. You know, that first game is, oh, my God, it's awesome. Like, you're putting on TV, and you're seeing your guys. Now, unfortunately, we're not going to see a lot of Mets because they're all playing in the WBC. <laughs> all right, the other thing I wanted to get to was Steve Cohen. So Steve Cohen did two interviews. One was a print interview with Jeff Passan in which he basically told every other owner, if you don't spend money, you're being cheap, you bastard, which I loved. And that was really the highlight of that interview that Steve Cohen, and he was so right about it. I don't even say this just as a Met fan. I would have said this when the Wilpons owned the team, you have the money to spend other owners. Don't blame me. I'm playing within the rules. I'm paying the tax. Go out and spend money. And one of the biggest issues in baseball is the payroll disparity, except here's the argument that I would have with some of these small market goons. The payroll disparity is your fault. The owner of the Oakland A is a billionaire. That's fact. And yet his payroll is $39 million. So what are we talking about here? So I think there are more owners that should spend more money. I thought that Cohen being as defiant as he was, was an 
awesome sign. Like, we're already pumped up about Steve Cohen. Carlos Correa's situation aside, because I really don't think that was about money. That was about they're concerned about his ankle. This isn't the Wilpons. This is not an ownership group looking for an excuse not to spend. Like, I think legitimately Steve Cohen and the Met doctors had concern. So overall, he is willing to spend. He has showed that. I thought that those comments, those defiant comments, was a signal to the rest of baseball. I'm not stopping. Like, this is not going to stop next year. So Shohei Otani, is he going to be a New York Met? I don't know. The guy may not want to play in New York, but the Mets aren't going to be outbid. That's the one thing I feel confident about. So I thought that was really cool because Steve Cohen's become a legend for us as Met fans, but sometimes it's good to hear him reaffirm what we already know about him, which is I got a lot of money and I'm going to spend it, and you bastard owners – who a jelly, you're very jelly. That's on you. So that was tremendous. I love hearing so, you going. So I, I love it too. And what's, what's really exciting is the past two off seasons, we've seen some bigger names, the Scherzers, the Verlinders of the world, choose the Mets. And it's nice, but they're a little bit older. I'm waiting for the youthful you know, whether it's Juan Soto, whether it's a Manny Machado, I imagine Machado's a little bit older, but one of those guys to sign with the Mets because that's going to show and prove how real this change is for the Mets because yeah. most that, that hasn't happened. Well, it's it's sort of happened in Lindor. I know it's a trade, but then you had to re-sign him and they gave him the mega contract. But I, I get what you're saying. It's It's not a pure free agent signing. They traded for the guy and then they gave him all that money. You're right. Like they've spent a lot of money on short term deals with older players. When you sign Juan Soto or Shohei Otani, whoever else you want to come up with, prime of their career, that's a Beltron signing. That's what it is. That's a trade and re sign Mike Piazza kind of move. That's, you know, the A Rod move that they should have made going into the 2001 season, which I still look at as a huge regret. Even knowing what we know about Alex Rodriguez, I think that was the biggest, one of the biggest mistakes of the Wilpon era was not taking the guy who grew up as a Met fan and was the best player in baseball and not making him the face of the franchise. And mark my words about this. I can never be proven right because it's altering history. If they sign A-Rod, no matter what happens with the steroids, all you guys would have loved him. And it wouldn't have altered our view on him. It, I, I swear, like if this guy was a Met between 01 and when he retired 14 years later and he ends up hitting all those home runs, same stuff, same kind of crap. He's got paintings of himself as a horse. He's sunning himself in Central Park. He's caught using steroids, like all the same stuff. He'd have been a god amongst Met fans. Dude, Yankee fans love A-Rod. Giants fans love Barry Bonds. Cardinals fans love Mark McGuire. So you're 100 percent right. Like if he if his production was as big as it was with the Yankees, we would have been all over him. One question to you though is with Steve Cohen, basically saying I'm going to continue to spend a ton of money. So get ready, you guys got to step your game up. How much does it hurt them, the Mets as a whole, in the trade market? I don't think it hurts them. I don't buy that. That owners are going to refuse to make deals with Steve Cohen. I, I just don't buy that. I, I don't even buy. And like, there was a report that came out after the Nets traded Kyrie Irving. Here we that, go. 
No, it, it's relatable though. Trust me. <laughs> it all makes sense. There was a report that Joe Sy was going to refuse trading Kyrie Irving to the Lakers. Like he wasn't going to do it. And I call BS on that. I think the Nets took the best offer in their mind. I happen to agree with them. They took the best offer out there. And I think most owners, not all, take the best offer. So if the Mets are trying to make a trade and they're offering the most, nine times out of ten, I think the team takes the best offer. I know there's a lot of Yankee fans that thought there was always a Yankee tax, that they couldn't get Kurt Schilling because the Diamondbacks asked for more. Uh, I think a lot of it's conspiracies that aren't really based in reality. Once in a while, sure, it's a relationship business. You don't have a good relationship with the GM. Maybe they take slightly less. But I think for the most part, if you make the best offer, you're going to get the most back. So I'm not fearful of that. I'm not. And look, the truth is signing free agents, drafting correctly, developing your own guys, that's good enough. You know what I mean? You may may not have to make a million trades. One thing to keep in mind, though, about payroll and spending. Spending doesn't guarantee you anything. And I thought this was fascinating. I saw this posted by uh, Jason Churchill at Prospect Insider on Twitter. What he did was he went back to 2010. Okay, so we're talking about the last 12 seasons, 13 seasons of Major League Baseball, 13 seasons, and put the payroll rank of the team that won the championship that year. So without looking it up, Pete, since 2010, how many times do you think the team with the highest payroll won the World Series? 13 years. How many times do you think that happened? I want to say six. You're going to say six. Okay. The answer is twice. That's it. Twice. And I give you the answers on who they were. 2018, the Boston Red Sox. 2020, weird season, but still the LA Dodgers. That's it. Think about this. And here are the rankings so you can see who won the World Series. 2010, the Giants were ranked eighth. 2011, the Cardinals were ranked ninth. 2012, the Giants were ranked seventh. 2013, the Red Sox were ranked third. 2014, the Giants were ranked seventh. 2015, the Kansas City Royals, 13th. 2016, the Chicago Cubs, fifth. 2017, the Houston Astros, 17th, though they were cheating. 2018, Red Sox, number one. 2019, the Washington Nationals, seventh. 2020, the LA Dodgers, number one. 2021, who won the World Series in 2021? I try to ignore that. I try to ignore that. The Atlanta Braves, 10th. And in 2022, the Houston Astros, eighth. So that's not me telling Met fans, don't be excited about spending. I love that they're spending. I think it gives you a better chance to win, but the proof is in the pudding. Even a top two payroll, it doesn't guarantee you anything. A top three payroll doesn't guarantee you anything. There are three examples. In fact, there are more examples in the last 12 years of teams outside the top 10 winning a championship than the team with the number one payroll in all baseball. Yeah, but it seems like the 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 go to is you got to be in the top ten. If you're yeah. in the top ten, it's it's you're got a better chance. That's a, the outlier is the Royals a hundred percent. And you look at that team, you go back to I think they were one of the least um, power hitting teams in the league that year. I, if I'm correct, they they barely hit home runs. That team was like an anomaly, and of course the Mets had to run into them. Yeah, look, you're right that being in the top ten is important. But think about this: 
there are more examples of a team outside of the top 10 winning a World Series than a team at number one or number two winning the World Series in the last 13 years. Now, you go back before that, I think the Yankees were number one in 09. So there are other examples of huge behemoths, but I'm looking at the last 13 years. And so it helps to spend. It's great that they spend. I am not bringing this up as a stop spending point. It's just a reminder that spending doesn't guarantee anything. You need to do multiple things to win. The reason, and I, and I stand by this, and I think this applies to the Yankees too, but this is Rico Bronia. This isn't the Tim Leary. Um, I don't know why I used him as an example. I apologize. <laughs> this isn't the Scott Sanderson podcast. This isn't the Alvaro Espinoza. Um, I forgot what I was going to say now. <laughs> I, was, I was so enthralled by naming all the Yankees. Oh, yeah. The Braves <laughs> won the division last year because, in my opinion, because of Michael Harris, because of Vaughn Grissom, and because of Spencer Strider. Those were three huge reasons why Atlanta won the division, and that's prospects coming up, some of them during the season, and contributing. And I believe if the New York Mets, I've said this before, if the New York Mets are going to win the division in 2023, doesn't mean they have to be on the roster on opening day, by the way. They will do it because of Brett Beatty, Francisco Alvarez, and maybe somebody we're not even thinking of. Same thing for the Yankees with guys like Anthony Volpe and Oswald Peraza. So spending is great, and I'm glad they've done it, but you got to do those other things to win. So the one thing that, and again, I, even Cohen said this, I think it was part of the passing article or whatever it was. I think he went on record saying that he admitted, I didn't expect I had to spend this much. Right. But the pro- and And the thing is, He's spending this much right now, and it's not going to be a given every year. He's going to have a payroll close to $400 million. It's because of the situation this team was in, he had to fix it, and he is. And that's what you have to look at and be like, he sees the big picture. Yeah. It is through the dra- It is through draft. It is through re- working with prospects. So I'll overpay now in a few years. These young guys are going to get called up, and we're going to see the Escobars and the Akanas, and, and Marte is going to be gone, and we're going to see this young youth movement coming to the Mets as long as they're actually good, and and the, the payroll's not going to be as big. Yeah, it's the Dodger formula. It's what the Dodgers did a bunch of years ago in that you spend in the short term so that you're good and competitive, and you also develop the youth underneath you in the meantime. One thing that's going to hurt developing the youth is this Matt Allen injury, which I feel terrible about. Uh, He needed a second, a corrective Tommy John surgery, whatever it is. So we're not going to see him pitch this season. Uh, It's a shame. You know, you feel bad for this kid. He was drafted by Brody Van Wagenen in in 2019, if I'm not mistaken. And here we are. We're not going to see this kid pitch again until 2024. And even at that point, you still have to build yourself up coming off Tommy John again, and you've got to prove yourself. So, Bad news with Matthew Allen. The other thing with Steve Cohen in the other interview he did with Howie Rose, he spent a lot of time talking about City Field and talking about the surrounding area. He didn't answer a question about Carlos Correa, by the way. He was uh, how he brought it up, and basically he went with it. I can't talk about it. So it is what it is. It's over. We've discussed that at nauseum. Um, I, I love the fact it's it's one of those not as big of a deal as winning thing because winning's the most important. 
but he's going to change the area around City Field. And that is so monumental because growing up, growing up 30 years ago, going to Shea Stadium, there was never anything to do. There was never a restaurant to go to. There was never a bar to go to. There was nothing. And here we are in 2023. And the truth is nothing's changed. It, nothing has changed. And Steve had a funny line to Howie where he said, well, there is something to do after a game. Get your muffler changed. And it's funny. It's <laughs> it's sort of depressing. But I thought it was really cool to hear. And I know that this has been going on for a while now, so it's not new news necessarily. That he is motivated to change the surrounding area. He said a few things I wonder about. Number one is using the parking lot to start building stuff. And then he would build parking garages. I hate that idea, by the way, because I think parking garages are the death of all of us. Getting out of a parking garage is brutal. Ask Yankee fans or ask Met fans who go to Yankee Stadium. Those garages are awful. So now Steve made the point of, here's why it'll work. And it's interesting. He said, if there's so much around City Field, not everybody, and there, there's things in the parking lot, kind of like what's in Philadelphia, where they got basically in the parking lot, or at least across the street, that big entertainment center, there's a casino, there's a restaurant, there's all sorts of crap, there's bars that people won't be leaving at the same time. So that when a game is over, you're not going to have 40,000 people all converging at the parking garages. You're going to have 10,000 people per- going to the parking garages, another 10,000 people going to gamble, another 5,000 people going to stuff themselves with mozzarella sticks, and another 5,000 people getting their mufflers changed. And if you add all that <laughs> up, you don't have everybody leaving necessarily at the same time. I don't know, bro. Parking garages are the death of us. Like one of the best parts about City Field is that there's so much parking lot space that you don't have to wait to go down a parking garage. So I heard Cohen say that, and I'm a little concerned. Not going to lie. You, you, but you say there's so much parking, but the reality is it's not as much as you think, especially when like uh, when the U.S. Open comes around and it's just like chaos because there's just not enough parking to go around at that point in time. So if you're talking about there's going to be more things added to the surrounding area, you kind of not need to do that. Because you're gonna you're gonna have less place to park. Yeah, if you're building stuff in the parking lot, yeah, because you're taking parking lot space away. I never thought that would be the plan. I always thought that where those muffler shops are would just sprout up into casinos and restaurants and bars. Howie did ask him. He said, "Hey, what's the timeline on this?" <laughs> and Cohen basically said, "Well." It's going to take a while. So it's <laughs> it's one of those things where it's fun to think about, but it is going to take a long time. He said they need to come up with a master plan, like all the di- like all the plans, and then you got to start building it. That's going to take years. That's going to take a very very long time. So Did you see Yeah. Did you see the other part about what he was referring to about in the stadium stuff? Yeah, so which is very exciting too. Let's get to that. So he brings up the new scoreboard, which I think someone asked about in our uh, mailbag a couple weeks ago, and I made the comment, I don't want to know about it. I want to walk into City Field on opening day and just see it. But obviously, I know what's going on. Cohen said, while sitting in his suite, he had to squint his eyes to see the scoreboard, which is such a billionaire story. Like, 
I was squinting my eyes. I couldn't see the scoreboard. So I said, Jimmy, build me a bigger scoreboard. Make it quadruple in size. So now we've got this massive scoreboard coming. That's one of those things where I just can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see what it looks like. They're also bringing in the right field seats a little bit, not to help anybody, but because they're adding more seating out there. I wonder, and because we have a billionaire owner who gets it, and he knows that as much as I love baseball and you love baseball and a lot of people listening love baseball, you almost have to convince people to come to games differently than you did 20 years ago. I think 20 years ago it was, here's a baseball game, pay us top dollar, go watch baseball game. I think it's becoming different now because there's so many other things to do that I've wondered, are we going to head to a day? And I don't mean this in relation to just gambling, though you could take it this way, where every seat is going to have like a tablet connected to the front of the seat, uh, the back of the seat in front of them. Like when you're on an airplane and you you fly JetBlue and there's a screen connected to the back of the seat in front of you and you can watch TV and you could see where the plane is landing, all that kind of crap. Are we headed towards a day? And I think Cohen would be on the forefront of this, by the way. That's why I bring it up for us, because we got a freaking billionaire owner who gets it. Are we going to be going to baseball games in five years? And like in front of us is going to be a tablet where we can watch replays, or we can see the speed of the pitch right in front of us, or we can have like a game tracker. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, if you want to go flip some other game on, you're allowed to. Or if you want to place a bet, you're allowed to. I don't think what I'm saying right now is nuts. Like, I could sort of see that in the next decade. Can you plug your headphones in and leave, either listen to Howie on the radio or listen to the TV broadcast while you're there, too? I oh, mean, yes. That would be amazing. That's a win right there. That's a win. I can but see it. it. But- but it will help people be locked into the game, too. You give people these functions, and they'll mess around with it. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I, I just think that you look at the Mets' attendance last year. It wasn't amazing, considering how good the team was. And I start to wonder, is it going to become more of a challenge to get people in the ballpark? You see how different City Field is than Chase Stadium. They got things for the kids, which is great. They've got so many places to eat. They got all these this entertainment stuff that if going to a game – and getting people to give you their money to go to a baseball game, it's going to take more, including things like that, where there are screens for you to watch things. I don't know. I just wonder about it because I do think we have an owner who understands it's an entertainment business. And while winning seems to be the cure-all, just win, people will show up like it's 1986. I don't know. I wonder if there's going to have to be more. But I'm excited to see the, the new looks of this ballpark. And I kind of expect that every year, He's going to add more and more stuff. Um, you know, it's interesting. Your guy said something that made me think the other day, Tiki and Tierney. They mentioned, maybe you brought it up. Maybe I shouldn't give them credit. No, I'm kidding. I think it was their idea. How different this stadium would have looked if Steve Cohen built it. If Cohen had bought the team, we're in a different time warp, and City Field is being built, except it's coming from Cohen. It's not coming from Fred Wilpon. And it is a fascinating question because I actually like the fact that the Brooklyn Dodgers are tributed. My issue was tribute them and the Giants, like tribute both teams that we came from. But this stadium would be so massively different. Not only would they not have made the mistake of ignoring the Mets franchise when it first opened, 
but I can only imagine what it would look like. It'd be so different if Steve Cohen was like the architect of this thing. Well, one one debate was would it have had a dome aspect, would it have a roof aspect to it? I no, think it, it, it may would. have. I don't no? know. No, it would have been too expensive. I, oh, come on, we're talking about Steve Cohen here. The guy- yeah, but that's a different kind of expense. <laughs> I I don't think as put it this way. I don't think as much as that would save on rain delays and encourage people to come to the ballpark no matter the weather, I don't think it makes up for the cost, which is crazy because you would think, well, a mid-April game should do fine. Who cares how cold it is? There's a dome. But it's so expensive that I wonder over the course of 30 years, how many more people would you have to get into that ballpark? And I know you could add events. I get that. You could have you know, freaking WrestleMania. Why that's the first thing to come to my mind is crazy. You could have the final four <laughs> concerts. Like I get all that, but I just, I've always wondered if that would have been financially worth it as much as it would be great for us. I don't know if it would have been financially worth it. I do think though, that Steve Cohen, though he didn't buy uh, the team when the stadium hadn't been built, he's going to make this into his own thing. He's going to do as much as he possibly can to, and his touch, his flavor to the stadium, the way it is, and I think it will over the next ten years. You'll see a, you'll see so much different stuff. You won't even remember that the Will Ponds existed when it went in ten years from now. I already forgot the Will Ponds existed. <laughs> it's already out of my mind. Well, one last thing that the Will Ponds gave us, and I, and I think this is an interesting exercise that we can do with other guys, but I wanted to do it with him because it was a shorter period of time is the Brody Van Wagenen era of New York Met baseball. And I bring this up only because I've always said this about presidents, but you can definitely say this about general managers. Sometimes you don't realize how good of a job or how bad of a job they've done until they've been gone for a few years. Because you start to see the draft picks. Did that work out? Some of the trades that you can't judge right away. You start to see... What did that guy really do? And Omar Minaya has been given a lot of credit for that 2015 team in that, look, he built that team. A lot of those pieces came from Omar Minaya. So Brody Van Wagenen has now been gone for about two and a half years, which is amazing to think about. Time has really flown by. But when Steve Cohen bought this team late in 2020, he promptly got rid of Brody. And Brody's a weird era in Met history. Because it wasn't a long time. He came from such a weird place, and he's never going to be a GM again. So let's take a look briefly at the life and the legacy of Brody Van Wagen and the general manager. Let me start off with this. When the Will Ponds hired him, I liked it. I, and I admit it. And I, and I give you my tortured thoughts that I had when they hired him. And you'll at least understand it. I thought if anybody could convince the Wilpons to spend, it would be a used car salesman like Brody Van Wagenen, that he would be able to get Jeff in a room and say, Jeff, here's why, with his beautiful smile, here's why we need to spend $200 million on a big offer for Bryce Harper. Here's why we need to go after Manny Machado. And in his opening press conference, he came out with the whole, we're going to win now, we're going to win in the future. I was open to it. Now, call me desperate, but I didn't think it was the worst idea in the world. We've seen agents become really good executives. Like, we've seen it. Bob Myers, I think, is a really good example with the Warriors. Now, you're chuckling over there, Pete. 
Are you telling me that when they hired Brody, you were you were pissed? You thought it was the dumbest thing ever. I think I did. I don't remember why, but I'm just now. As you're going through, it's a very brief history, but I'm just going through some quotes he had. So in my head, I will get there because there was one free agency period where he made a quote that that'll stick in my head forever. Was the "Come get us" line, and I just I forgot which signing it was, but it was a, it was a joke. But anyway, get get to your thing. Get get to he the, talked the history. He, he did. did. He never did. All right, so here are the trades he made. We're going to break this up to trades, free agent signings, and drafts. Because the draft thing, you never know, man. All right, that's that's where Omar ended up getting a lot of credit, and it took a while to find out. Let's start with the trades, all right? Jay Bruce, Anthony Swarzak, Gerson Batista, Justin Dunn, and Jared Kelnick for Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz. As we sit here today, with Edwin on a brand new contract as the most dominant closer in baseball, with Justin Dunn never becoming a big thing quite yet, with Jared Kelnick not becoming a big thing quite yet, and despite what Robinson Cano was, would you argue that this is one of the great trades in the history of the Met franchise? I, I still can't do that because he got ripped off in so many different ways. A normal, a normal GM would have gotten Edwin Diaz and either taken on a Robinson Cano contract and paid for most of it or given up the prospect, but not both. And that's what he did. And he put us back enough to really hurt the franchise. Now, in the end, Edwin Diaz is great, but it's still still a terrible trade. I I can't say. How could you say that? Like, I I get what you said at the time, (laughs) because at the time I completely agreed with you in terms of, Hey, if I'm going to give you a top prospect, I can't also pick up Robbie's money. But this owner has eliminated Robbie's money. It doesn't effing matter. That's out the window. And we'll see what Kelnick and Dunn, because the jury isn't out on them yet. It's already turned in Edwin Diaz. Like, can't you say, hey, I didn't like the trade. Here's my reasons. But wow, this has turned out to be one of the great trades the Mets have made in a long time. No, I, I again, Ed, bringing in Edward Diaz is, is an A, but the trade as a whole is like a C plus. <sighs> Edwin Diaz is an A plus, fine, I mean, but the trade he, as a whole, C plus. Come on, he, you can't call it a C plus. You can't. Yeah, but up until last year, we were ready to get Edwin Diaz out of the out of New York. Pete, 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 I I totally get how our opinions change, and the way I've always looked at this is explain why your opinions change, and it's okay to have an opinion that's evolved. Like, don't ignore that you had a, an old opinion. Acknowledge why it's... Like me with Daniel Jones. A year ago, this guy ain't a quarterback. Now I say, re-sign him. I'm not a hypocrite. I'm explaining this is what I saw on why I feel different. I think for those who ignore why their views have changed and just all of a sudden wake up and say, oh, Daniel Jones is the best and almost act as if they never said the other stuff, then you're a fraud. But if you're admitting, like I'm admitting, I agree with everything you said about the trade, but today Edwin Diaz is freaking awesome. We were wrong two years ago for saying it was a dumb trade and maybe we got to give Brody credit. He pulled it off. It worked. Wow, that it's it's tough to give Brody credit for anything. Again, I'm I'm right. fine with Edward Diaz, but I don't know if I can give him credit. He got lucky with that. All right, trade number two: Anthony K and Simeon Woods Richardson for Marcus Stroman. So Anthony K, I mean, I just 
I don't think it's happening with Anthony K. It, it's early enough where maybe I'm wrong, but I don't see it now, man. I don't. You know, he's pitched a little bit in the major leagues with the Toronto Blue Jays over three years, and he's been terrible. But he, he hasn't been good. So I've come to the conclusion that the Anthony K thing is probably not going to come back and kill them at some point. Um, Simeon Woods Richardson, he's still only 22 years old, so we'll see. Stroman, like, here's the thing about Stroman. He wasn't awful in 2019, but it didn't work because the Mets didn't make the playoffs, and he did make one big, big start. Um, I think it was the, the Todd Frazier game, actually. He started that game, and it was very mediocre. He sits out 2020 fine. Like, that doesn't even matter because he came back in 2021, and he was good. He was very good. The problem is the Mets decided not to keep him. So it's easy to look back at that and say, well, boy, if Simeon Woods Richardson turns into anything, it's a disaster. When Marcus Stroman was here, he was not bad. So how do you view that trade? Uh, I, I'd say like it's a B plus, not B plus, but B, B minus. Because K, by the way, I think he got DFA. Yeah, I, mean, I think so too. Got- I don't think he's with the Blue Jays anymore. Right, exactly. So that's fine. Um, Woods Richardson, yeah, I guess you don't know, but Stroman has been effective. I mean, you he was good for two years. You compare him with like a Tywin Walker. I mean, they're both on the same level. He was he was almost at the right handed version of an outliner. He'd give you five good in, five five innings, whether it was good or not. He'd he'd fight through it and he'd keep the, the score low. And look, here's the reality. I know he's not here anymore, so it's easy to say that trade sucked. They chose not to re-sign him, which came from new management. He made 44 starts as a Medi at a 3-2 ERA. Like, he was good. So it's it's tough to really kill that one. Blake Taylor and Kennedy Corona for Jake Marisnik sucked because Blake Taylor has actually been in the major leagues. He's been a competent reliever for the Astros, and Jake Marisnik was a waste of time. Like, he was just a, a complete waste of time. The J.D. Davis trade, though, that doesn't look bad. Scott Manaya, Luis Santana, and Ross Odoff, Adolf, Adolf, Ross Adolf. Can we call there him we something go. else? Yeah, <laughs> just call him Ross. Some guy Ross. <laughs> AD was good. I mean, in 2019, JD Davis was awesome, and I wonder. I don't know what JD Davis is going to be now in a full year with the Giants. He was very productive after the trade. He just was. He was very good with the Giants. We may look back at the J.D. Davis trade where they got rid of him as an all-timer because Darren Ruff was abysmal. And I stand by the thought he won't be on the team next year. But J.D. Davis, when he was here in 2019 specifically, was tremendous. In 2020, for a short period of time, was average. In 2021, he missed a lot of time, but when he played, was pretty good. And then just sucked in 2022 to the point where they traded him. But you have to admit, that acquisition was another decent trade by Brody. No, and I actually love that when that happened in the moment because you saw the Astros. I think this was, was it during the cheating scandal. I can't remember. But regardless, you saw they had a surplus of, of offensive-minded players, and they couldn't have it. They didn't have a spot for him. Right. So I actually love that J.D. Davis trade. And I, I, I think he was a fan favorite when he first came over. I remember him being in left field, and he was there. He worked the crowd. He just fit. I don't know what happened in the first half of 2022. It's it's weird because the second half was completely different. And like you said, I think it's going to bite us a little bit, especially for what we got back. 
Yeah, sometimes the Mets give up on a guy and we're all in agreement it's time to move on, but then the guy figures it out, which leads me to where Brody Van Wagenen was a disaster. Like, I'm going to start giving you lists of things that's not arguable. It's just this is where he sucked. Where he really sucked was twofold. Giving up on free agents that were Mets, like letting guys leave and signing free agents. Two pretty important things, right? He was awful at all of them. I'll go through it real quick. He cut Travis Darno. Now, again, very similar. I think we were all done with Travis Darno, but nevertheless, it's on your resume, Brody. You released him, and now he haunts us with the Atlanta Braves. They released Chris Flexen. Again, didn't think it was crazy, but Chris Flexen has become a very quality major league pitcher. They let Rafael Montero leave as a free agent. Again, I think we all understood it. No one went nuts about it, but Rafael Montero one of the better relievers in baseball. Let Wilmer Flores leave. Didn't all love it at the time. Wilmer Flores would have been a great addition right before the trade deadline. He let all those guys leave. Here's some of his free agent signings. And really my question for you is which one's the worst? Because it's all awful. Jairus Familia's brought back. Wilson Ramos. Okay, that wasn't bad. Jed Lowry. Michael Waka. Rick Porcello. And Dellen Betances. Like, that is abysmal crap right there. The Lowry has to be the worst. The guy didn't freaking play. And that's where the come get us line came from. I forgot what everyone else. I think maybe the the, the, the Phillies just signed Harper. Was that just what happened? The Phillies <laughs> oh. just signed Harper. And we, we signed Wilson Ramos and Jed Lowry. And, and we're like, come get it. Not Wilson Ramos. But we just said we signed um, – yeah, it was we signed Jed Lowry. That was one yeah. of the guys. Yeah, we signed Jed Lowry. He said, he said, come get us. I mean, come on. What? How embarrassing is that? <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> come get us. Yeah, he said that in January of 2019. It was a very bold statement, which obviously was not backed up. The, the Porcello and Walker thing was on paper decent, but in 2020, and I, and I try to forget the 2020 season because was it even a season? Like, it's a fair question. Was so, so bad. But here's where things are a little interesting now. The drafts. You like Brett Beatty? I think he's a pretty good prospect. He drafted him. Yeah. 12th overall. <laughs> if, if Brett Beatty turns into a star, we're going to say, thanks, Brody. That was a good one. Now, he also drafted Matthew Allen, so that hasn't worked out. He drafted a kid named Josh Wolf, who was in the Lindor trade. He also drafted Pete Crow Armstrong, which you can't blame him for. The newer administrations, the one that traded him for Javier Baez, and he signed as an international free agent, Alex Ramirez, who's one of the top prospects in the organization now. So over a two-year period of time, the – he he did leave us with two pretty good prospects, Brett Beatty and Alex Ramirez, two of the top 10 prospects in this organization. So left the Mets with two quality prospects, was god-awful with free agent signings, was god-awful in decisions of guys who were on the team, and I thought made one trade that to this day we can look back on and potentially say was an all-timer. The, the other thing, and I don't want to leave this out about Brody, was he got DeGrom to agree to a very team-friendly extension. And whether that had something to do with him being his agent in the past, I have no idea. Now, you could argue that that extension, while good in the short term, 
actually was the end of the DeGrom Mets relationship because he was so bitter about it. I don't buy that, but okay. Uh, so I get, I do give him credit for that though, because he did sign DeGrom. It was a great contract. It was celebrated certainly by me at the time. So I'll give him that. But overall, what do you want to grade, Brody? A D? A C? Want to give him some credit because of the Diaz trade? What, what, what are we going to grade this guy? Do you give him a D? I mean, it's either D or F. You can't really, you can't give him higher than a D because the Diaz was the only really pro, uh, productive thing he did. You, again, like you said, you go through all the pro. And why do we go and give a Brody the credit for the, the draft? I mean, isn't there a ton of scouting? You think that he was the guy Pete. that was like, oh, let's go. Pete, <laughs> don't, don't do that. <laughs> Come on. We always give the guy at the top credit. I mean, uh, he was he was the general manager when they drafted him. So Brett Beatty, Edwin Diaz, Alex Ramirez, those three guys, good the good are the lasting legacy of Brody Van Wagenen. If Brett Beatty wins a World Series, I will give Brody a nod. I'll tip the cap. <laughs> Oh, what a two-year run it was with Brody. And when Steve Cohen took over the Mets, he didn't even wait 30 seconds before he (laughs) fired his ass. It was like, I'm here and you're gone. And not related to baseball, but it did make me chuckle. The Phoenix Suns have a brand new owner. And everybody's very excited about it. Uh, Ishiba, Ashaba, Ashiba, I forget his name. The first thing he does is he hires Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> like Brody's, I'm sorry, Cohen's first thing is, I'll bring in Sandy Alderson. And look, Sandy Alderson had a decent track record with the Mets. Now, Isaiah, great talent evaluator. I do want to give him credit for that. But I don't know if you remember this. He's accused of sexual harassment and lost. Like, that's on his track record. And oh, by the way, traded and signed Eddie Curry which also is on his resume. <laughs> so, Steve, oh. thank you for it being Sandy Alderson and not bringing in Isaiah Thomas. But I digress. If you haven't watched it yet, Game 7 of the 86 World Series, it's on YouTube. We have the link when you read this podcast and you click on this podcast to listen to it. We're going to do a whole podcast dedicated to that game one of the most underrated but important games in the history of the New York Mets, Game 7 of the 1986 World Series. We appreciate you listening to Rico Bronia and downloading Rico Bronia. For all the new listeners, because I've had a few people ask me this, why is it called Rico Bronia? Because Rico Bronia is awesome. Okay, that's why. Yeah, you really need an answer? Because he's Rico Bronia. And it's cool to say, hey, did you listen to the Rico today? Hey, we're going to record a Rico today. Rico, 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 Rico. One thing I do want to do as we get closer to spring training, we will do roster projections, what this opening day roster will look like and should look like. That'll be coming up next week. And also, this is Met-related, but it's more of a baseball discussion. Realignment. Radical realignment is something I've told everyone who listens to me. Uh, It's going to happen. I had a big discussion with Big Mac about that a few weeks ago where I said it's going to happen, and he disagreed with me. It's gotten a lot more attention recently because Jim Bowden decided to say this is how he would do radical realignment. First of all, his idea sucks. I'll tell you the best idea, the one that I have that makes a lot more sense. But we'll get to that coming up and we'll argue about it because I think it's a terrible idea. I think it's awful. P, 
Pete has whispered to me because he's afraid, doesn't want to say it too loudly yet, that he thinks it's an amazing idea. So we will probably have our first ever fist fight on Rico <laughs> Bronia coming up in a couple of weeks. I look forward to that. By the way, I also just want to say a shout out to everybody that keeps on shouting you out. Uh, as far as uh, if you if you scroll through the Twitter verse, a lot of Mets Twitter is looking for the best uh, podcast out there to listen to Mets wise. And a lot of people have been throwing out there Rico Bronier. So thank you to everyone who's uh, who's putting us out there. Well, we appreciate that. There's a lot of very good Met podcasts out there. So you should listen to all of us. NWFAN. That's what you should do. Because <laughs> make sure you have time to listen to the fan. And that, of course, is at 2 o'clock with me and Craig or 10 a.m. With Tiki and Tyranny. But thank you very much for listening. You can email the pod anytime. The RicoB at gmail.com. Goodbye from Rico Brunia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Brunia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>